0: Welcome to the Vaughn Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Good to have you back, Chris. Uh, a little bit of a layoff here with the holiday season. And uh, you know, here we are sitting in mid-January and lots to discuss today. Uh, but we're excited to hear uh, what you've been up to and some thoughts on, on the market. So um, you know, with that, let's just hop right in. We'll, we'll talk again about Jobless. It's been, um, as I mentioned, a couple of weeks since we reviewed the status of, of Jobless claims and the employment picture. Anyway, what we found is, you know, claims have continued to show weakness, and the December jobs report, you know, those showed a decline in employment of about 140,000 individuals. So, you know, the question, you know, is is what's the current status of labor markets, and did the job reports provide any incremental insight? Yeah. Dan, I I would definitely
1: focus more on the jobless report than the weekly claims for the last few weeks. Uh, For the last few weeks, when you look at the weekly claims data, while They've been weak. The simple truth is, it's a holiday season that has a huge influence over the, that weekly data. Uh, but when you look at the jobs report, while it did show 140,000 decline in non farm payroll, it's somewhat offset by the 95,000 increase in November. None of this should be a surprise. The high frequency data that's been coming out was showing that the economy is slowing back down on the margin. And again, primarily those areas that are hit with the resurgence in COVID cases. And to that extent, you know, during December, we saw about a 500,000 uh, decline in leisure and hospitality and employment. So that's the weakness. It's clearly driven by the impact of the virus. I think what's more interesting when you look at the jobless data for the month of December, uh, there's really not an issue with the demand for jobs, meaning if you look at the ISM and some of other survey data, there's jobs that are open. So there is demand for labor. The issue is supply. And what we don't know if people aren't returning to work because they've decided to leave the workforce permanently and accelerate their retirement. If they're choosing not to return because they still have extended unemployment benefits, or if they're not returning out of fears regarding their own underlying health uh, but something's keeping labor from re-engaging with employers so the encouraging thing with that is that yeah the economy wants to grow it wants to create some jobs albeit not nearly enough relative to the damage that's been done but for whatever reason people aren't showing up to to interview for jobs and, and in the aggregate when you just look at where we are You know, we're still down 9.8 million jobs from the pre-pandemic levels. And that's still a larger decline than we experienced during the the, uh, credit crisis. So there's just no doubt we're going to need a lot more stimulus to restart the economy. And it's going to have to be focused at the lower wage levels. When you look at aggregate wage data, it's already back above pre-pandemic levels. But that's not for the lower-wage worker. The lower-wage worker has still been severely impacted. And so rather than mailing checks to everybody, it needs to probably be a little more tailored to those that either at below certain income levels or those you know, clearly with, without any income whatsoever. So still a lot of work that needs to be done to return employment to pre-pandemic levels.
0: Right. And it certainly does. And, and you, know, you mentioned that number, you know, 9.8, nearly 10 million jobs, uh, we are down from the peak. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting thing here is, you know, markets have not seemed to care, right? And and they've been on care again recently. Um, you know, here we are recording. We're, we're halfway through January. Um, and just by way of example, we've looked at small cap value index. It's already up 9.5% this year, right? And, uh, yeah, we've seen, you know, incredibly strong momentum. But recently, we saw the market sold off a little bit on uh, reports that the $2,000 stimulus check may possibly not be included in the next round of stimulus. Um, So the question here is, you know, do you think that this is really a reason for the market to sell off um, given how resilient it's been?
1: You know, I think it's very telling that that rumor uh, triggered such a sell off. And what it's saying is, look, the federal government has gotten to be such a large part of this economy that we can't sustain a recovery without their stimulus. Um, and that stimulus is not only wanted, it's needed, and as the article in the Wall Street Journal said, we're we're in the era of non-stop stimulus, um, and unfortunately, just by design, as, you know, we roll out the stimulus, and as we send checks broadly, it really ultimately ends up in two places for the most part, one of which is clearly the stock market for those that are employed, and mm-hmm. Choose not to gamble on sports. Why do that when you can gamble in the market? And also through goods consumption. As we talked about, there's been a big tilt towards goods consumption versus services. And when we consume goods, let's face it, most of those goods are not made here. So this stimulus ultimately ends up overseas, uh, predominantly in the hands of China. And you can see that with the trade data that we had this week. So um, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, we do need the stimulus to continue to to consume, uh, but um, I I don't think it's necessarily going to create a self-reinforcing recovery here in the
0: U.S. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, over the last couple of months here, we've seen op-eds by folks like Kevin Warsh, we've seen, you know, former Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson, they've openly discussed the need to defend the U.S. dollar, and they've called into question whether the Federal Reserve can openly uh support treasury deficits with the increased uh, levels of quantitative easing. Yeah, do, you, do you think the indication is that this should be a concern for investors and if if so you know, what are the implications of a shift on the policy in the policy stance?
1: Yeah, I, and this falls, you know, right in line with what we were just discussing that without stimulus the economy can't grow. Uh and unfortunately when you look at if you just kind of track treasury receipts on a trailing 12-month basis they've already started to roll over and that rollover in federal tax receipts is coincident with the fall off in transfer payments and all that's to say is without the transfer payments we wouldn't have enough economic activity to even generate incremental tax receipts so it's clear that the federal government is, is is not just a large part of the economy but has become too large to uh, extricate itself from from uh, generating the economic growth. Uh, the other unfortunate element was during the crisis and, and through uh, part of the recovery, we've seen interest rates increase but the dollar continue to fall and the dollars following and commodities are rising and typically that, that can be a sign of stress that you would see in an emerging market right before a balance of payments crisis and and things such as that. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, our tax receipts are still woefully short of being able to even fund our top three expenses. So interest expense, entitlements, and defense are 140% of tax receipts currently. Um, And so I, I do think this is an issue that's going to be brought to bear in 2021 there's a narrative in the marketplace that we don't have to worry about deficits because the fed's just going to print the money and the dollar will go down and we'll get some transitory inflation in the process but ultimately we're going to be okay on the other side but there's a little bit more to it than that i mean that that base level of political calculus may have been okay 12 months ago But China's playing a very different game, right? China's allowed their yuan to appreciate for the last several months. And they may, in fact, have the highest real rates in the world right now. And they're clearly going after the dollar-based reserve system with the implementation of their own digital currency. It's going to be up to our politicians to decide what – in their own selfish interest, because that drives their decision, what ultimately is going to be more important? Meaning, do they need to preserve the dollar as the dominant reserve currency, in which case they would allow real rates to move higher or stimulate the economy with even more fiscal spending but tighten monetary policy So nominal rates may increase modestly, even if real rates don't change dramatically in the aggregate. But either one of those two scenarios would A, cause a sharp contraction in the U.S. economy as it relates to consumption. B, it would clearly reprice risk assets. So your long duration uh, growth companies with high PEs would come under pressure. um, And the negative wealth effect would cycle back through the economy. Um, we're not at that point yet where they've had to make that decision. I The reason why I think it's likely is there is $8 trillion of outstanding treasuries that come due in 2021. It is imperative that the investors who hold those treasuries be willing to reinvest back into the treasury as those as they come do um because if that's not the case then the fed's going to have to step up to buy the treasuries and the fed's already on the hook for 1.4 trillion of quantitative easing it's very easy to see with the expanded stimulus that's being proposed that one 1.4 trillion could easily become two and a half or three trillion um, and there again, that is very large relative to the, the existing size of the money supply in the economy. If, in fact, they have to step up and take down a larger portion of that $8 trillion, then things can start to get out of control. That's when you can see some nonlinear movements in the dollar. You can see uh, a, a kind of a step function shift higher, maybe in inflation expectations as people realize kind of the gig's up. Uh, or it may force the Fed to ultimately cap interest rates again, which can be very self-reinforcing and in, in building that assumption that uh, the gig is up and the dollar goes much lower. Uh, none of that is good for the most vulnerable people in this society, which we've already said haven't recouped their jobs, haven't recouped their income. And so if this were to play out that way, that, too, would have uh, fairly dire consequences from a social and political standpoint. So. I always ask myself, I think it's important that, that any investor or anyone in society, when they read the news, and certainly op-eds, that's certainly the case, when you see the news, you should ask yourself, why am I seeing this now? Right? It, our news is, is curated. Um, the individuals such as Kevin Warsh and Hank Paulson, my guests, were asked to write that op-ed and were given instructions as to what the tone and, and nature and the topic should be. So there's a reason we're seeing this. Uh, And it may be just to address the euphoria in the market. Uh, And this gets to why a Bitcoin can be such a threat, because certainly if you can make a lot of money in a Nasdaq stock, a Bitcoin, or an oil company, why in the world would you roll back into a treasury that didn't even pay 1%? And so they do have to keep them attractive enough to keep investors uh, interested in refinancing those, those securities. So, yeah, I think it's a relevant topic and I think it's one that, that may gain a little more attention over the next three to
0: six months. And one thing I want to grab on there that you mentioned, you know, you, you say, you know, when you, when you see the news, you read the news, you should ask yourself, you know, why, why am I seeing this now? And, you know, if, if news, you know, truly is you know curated. So I, so I wonder your thoughts on this, right? Do you think there's a reason we're starting to see, um, you know, we see financial gains across individual securities and asset classes that you have know, have resulted in, in a lot of market pundits saying, you know, we aren't in, in some type of a historic bubble, right? So do you think the question here is 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 there a path there? to can we draw a link to what you just described? Um, is there a reason for this? And do you think that the equity market is in a bubble or even perhaps do you think the bubbles is, exist in certain sectors?
1: Yeah. There's no, I mean, there's no question valuations are stretched, and they have been. We're in a zero and negative interest rate world and plenty of liquidity. So valuations are going to be stretched. Um, Do I think broadly that the U.S. equity market is in a bubble? No. I mean, if anything, we may be in a bubble somewhat like we were in 99, where certain areas are very expensive, other areas are very inexpensive. Um, but it's different and that the areas today that are expensive, if you looked at the large-cap growth stocks, for the most part, they have very good businesses. Uh, They're generating earnings. They have great reinvestment opportunities, and so those have excessive valuations, but they're not unsustainable economic activity, right? The consumption that we had going into the financial crisis was a bubble because it was wholly unsustainable. It was non-economic. And so it couldn't continue. So all the assumptions, you know, were not going to come true. Uh, so I, I don't think that's what we have today. I do think, clearly, if you're banking on economic growth, it is unsustainable without federal deficits and more stimulus. But I think that's that's in the bag. Uh, do we have pockets of bubbles? Absolutely. There's no question we do. Um, I think one of the primary areas is related to clean tech and ESG. Um and it's a product of price action attracting more capital, that capital flowing into a very narrow part of the market with a limited number of investment
0: opportunities.
1: And so those stocks have moved dramatically higher. I think that's a big driver behind what's been moving Tesla for the last 12 months. And we can look at Tesla's fundamentals, we know they're losing a lot of market share. We know there's some some significant issues there. um, But that's not what's been driving the price. And we're at that stage where with a lot of the ESG stocks, we're saying, well, see, it's working. And we always point to price. And, you know, prices moving higher typically attract more capital. Uh, That part of the market, I think, is entering a bubble. You know, what does it take to break it? Uh, Choices. Uh, You know, I think as it relates to ESG, will that that concept will continue to mature. Uh, what is a strong and good ESG company will change over time. Uh, you know, while Tesla makes a lot of EVs, you know, you can certainly pick on them for for government governance and, and social responsibility, right? And then you could conversely go look at a Volkswagen who was responsible for the emission scandal and Dieselgate. And I would actually paint the opposite picture, picture where yeah, they may have been in the negative category, but over the next year, they'll turn out to be the largest producer and seller of electric vehicles in the world, and they have some very interesting partnerships in battery technology, and they could actually turn out to be ESG darling over the next 12 months. So as you see these shifts and narratives start to shift as facts come available, you'll start to see some of these uh, bubbles or excesses unwind out of the market. Um, and to the extent that, you know, Bitcoin is a bubble and I understand all the arguments against it. I understand all the arguments for it and the network. uh, But let's not kid ourselves. The price action right now, it reflects liquidity. It's a trading asset and there's limited supply and there's a lot of demand and there's a lot of volatility accordingly. So there's no question there's pockets of bubbles. There's also no question that when you went through the pandemic reset the economy and businesses took a hard look at their cost structures. And for a large percentage of viable entities, they have dramatically and permanently reduced their cost structure. So they will have higher earnings in the future at similar uh, revenue levels. So in that sense, some people are looking at companies and saying, oh no, you know, it's terribly expensive. It probably isn't. It probably has had a permanent shift higher its ability to, to drive margin expansion. So uh, while there's areas of bubbles broadly, I don't think we're in a bubble. I think we're in excess valuations. I think we should expect lower returns without a ramp up and continued quantitative easing and stimulus. Uh, and I think we're gonna start to see a rotation. Uh, we're gonna start to see a recognition of the implications to the dollar or uh, implications to lower deficit spending as as we move forward for the next couple of years
0: okay well great well i'll play i'll stop you there um i think uh we'll take that trade excess valuations over our bubble um and we can certainly continue this conversation as we go but great to have you back um and certainly good to hear your voice again and hopefully uh folks um, can tune in and, and we'll be back at it again um on a more regular basis going on here on out so um, with that uh thank you chris and we'll catch you here soon
1: sounds good dan take care for views information